Our gospel lesson this morning is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with a cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Um, so I have a shocking confession for all of you gathered here today. I have not always been exclusively Presbyterian. Uh, and I know that that is shocking because I loudly often identify as a cradle Presbyterian, but in seminary, I worked in an Episcopal church. Ellen, don't tell Jim. <laughs> and I fell in love with high liturgy and deep tradition and practice rituals and incense in the sanctuary and, yeah, just all of it. So, for example, one of the traditions that I loved that, uh, was that... Um, in that denomination, in the Episcopal Church, once the bread and wine have been consecrated for communion, the leftovers can't just be thrown away. In fact, there's a special drain in their sacristy so that if it isn't consumed, the wine can be poured directly back into the earth. Though I can tell you that the seminary interns were often more than happy to finish the wine after the service. That's what I've heard. I would have no uh, firsthand experience with that. Um, but we believe something similar in the Presbyterian church, if not a little less strict. Uh, we like for the bread to be consumed rather than thrown out. And sometimes that looks like the pastor's taking it home so we can make uh, really good French toast. And sometimes it looks like one of my absolute favorite memories uh, from Morningside. So at my first fall retreat in Montreat, we celebrated communion on Sunday morning via intinction. And we had a pretty large portion of the loaf left over when the service ended. And some of my middle school youth, who are now high school seniors, noticed the leftover bread and they jokingly asked if they could have some more. They were shocked, I think, when I gave an enthusiastic, yeah. And so they ate more bread happily while I got to explain this practice and explain the concept of the joyful feast and the abundance of God's table and of God's love for us. Uh, when there was about a fist-sized portion left, I stopped them and said that we had to save the rest for the ducks of Lake Susan. It was tradition, you see, because uh, Randy Ray, son of Dale and Barbara Ray, had loved to feed the ducks at Montreat, and he adored Montreat. It was one of his favorite places. My youth, who I don't think knew Randy and didn't know Barbara very well, they were honored to take on that task for me, to keep Randy's memory alive with a practice that he loved. Now, I don't know if those youth remember that morning or if they uh, remember it as fondly or as emotionally as I do, but I imagine that I will never forget it. Because for me, that speaks to exactly what communion is. 
deep memory connected to a sacred practice. It is fitting, then, that Jesus asked his disciples to do this, to share this meal in remembrance of him, and that we are still asked to do that today. The words of Luke's gospel should have sounded familiar to you. What Jesus said is still recited at communion tables all over the world. Now, the word that Jesus uses here for remembrance occurs only three other times in the New Testament, and two of them are in 1 Corinthians when Paul repeats the words of institution given in our gospel reading, and the other is in Hebrews in a discussion of temple sacrifice, uh, the way that sacrifices offer a reminder of sin. The word in Greek is an active one, and it speaks to this unassisted recalling. It is uh, a remembering done to better appreciate the effects of what had happened. What that tells us, I think, is that Jesus is giving instruction for a particular kind of memory, a specific act of remembrance. Memory and remembering is vital for the practice of communion. And to take it a step further, memory is already baked into this scene. Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover, which commemorates the Israelites' escape from Egypt when they were led from slavery to the promised land by the hand of God. Celebrating Passover is, a, is fulfilling a mitzvah or a commandment that every descendant of Israel retell the story of the Exodus to their children that it may never be forgotten. So they're together in the upper room to remember the goodness and the power of God. And there, Jesus is offering another command, another instruction to remember. And we lean into this in our communion liturgy as well. The litany of great thanksgiving that we say at the table in some form or another recounts the activity of God with and in creation. We follow the creation of the universe through the fall to the covenants that God makes with folks like Noah and Abraham, to the judges and the prophets who point us back to God until we get to Jesus, at which point we remember both his death and resurrection and look forward to the promise of Jesus's return of the coming of the kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper, it gathers together past, present, and future uh, the past, present, and future of God's creative and redemptive work. It challenges us to connect our practice, our memory, and our future action in a tangible way. But what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to do something in remembrance of Jesus? We, we clearly haven't forgotten Jesus, right? Like, we're here in this room. We've got visible crosses. We haven't forgotten that Jesus existed, and we are obviously still participating in communion. We have our table all set and ready for later in the service. But have we fulfilled the instruction to remember simply by continuing communion? And, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Now, I have to say that there is something beautiful about being able to trace communion from its inception in the Gospels through the early church to today, the words are the same, and in many ways the practice is the same. We are, in a very real way, connected to believers in all times and all places. It reminds us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, and that is great. I don't want to diminish that value that this sacrament has. However, I don't think that the act of doing communion is enough, because for one thing, the way the church has done communion hasn't always been faithful 
or good or of God. The table has not always been open to everyone. The words of the sacrament may not have changed in thousands of years, but who can approach the table and who can stand behind it to break the bread certainly has. It took the church a long, long time to figure out that not only could three women preside over the table, but that it might be like a cool and good thing. (laughs) And uh, we also know, some of us more keenly than others, that in some places still today, some of our, uh, for some of our siblings in Christ, the table is still closed. Um, I cannot imagine what it would be like uh, to be told that because of your sexuality, you are not welcome at Christ's table. And I can only guess at what that would make you believe about your value before God and what that would communicate about who Jesus must be. Um, of all the lies that the institution of the church has told throughout history about anyone, Um, but particularly about our LGBTQ siblings, claiming that someone is not welcome or wanted at the table, sharing in that sacred meal is perhaps uh, the most insidious. At its core, that lie says to you that for whatever reason, um, you don't belong to God or to this community. It suggests that the creative and redemptive work that the church is working so hard to remember was not actually for you. Barring someone from participation in the Lord's Supper is, in my humble and aggressive opinion, uh, an insult to the memory of Christ. It is not, as it were, done in remembrance of Jesus. Communion is meant to be this indicator of our common life and the nourishment uh, of one another, and we cannot do that if we claim that someone is not worthy of approaching We say it in this sanctuary every time we celebrate communion, that that is not our table, it is Christ's, and that all are welcome. In the way that God's love in Jesus is broad and wide, so is the table. And so we appropriately remember Jesus by welcoming those that Jesus would welcome, which is to say, everyone. So no, just the practice of communion is not remembrance enough. To do things in remembrance of Jesus, we must bear witness to who Jesus was and who Jesus loved. And this, I think, challenges us to examine why we participate in the sacrament and what intention we bring with us when we come to be fed at the table. I think that there is immense value in ritual and and tradition, in doing things in a uh, practiced way that feel familiar and important. I've already said that I love high liturgy, and honestly, I like a little bit of pageantry. It makes things feel sacred, bigger than one person. But if we're doing anything simply because that's what we're supposed to do or because it's what we always do, then I don't think that that's remembering Jesus either. Through the prophet Isaiah, as Will read for us, God reminds the people of Israel that practice for the sake of practice Ritual that is centered on the self with no concern for the other is hollow. Not only is it hollow, it is in opposition to what God actually desires for them. Is this not the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Yes, God wants Israel to pray and fast and put their faith into practice but not if it means ignoring those in need. 
Similar, similarly, a communion practice that does not include everyone, does not speak of justice and hope, and does not turn our gaze outward, misses the mark of remembering Jesus. We cannot imagine that even if we wear all of the religious trappings of righteousness, even if we follow all of the holy rituals, that our lives really show forth the love and will of God, who comes to bring release to the captives and good news to the poor. Communion is a wonderful tradition. It is a powerful sacrament. It is a way that we care for and nourish ourselves. It is a way to celebrate the joyful feast with the people in our pews. But it has to be more than that. Jesus instructed us to make it more than that. So we also have to ask ourselves, what's next? The Episcopal Church that I loved so much closed every worship service with go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I have seen church bulletins that have a double heading on opposite sides of the pages that say enter to worship, depart to serve. Isaiah 58 and Jesus's instruction to remember is a warning against allowing those two tasks to be separated. We do not enter into worship, we do not share in communion as an end in itself. Instead, our worship and our practice should equip us and empower us and convince us of the service we must offer in pursuit of a just and equitable society. We don't remember Jesus at the table and then walk out the doors of the sanctuary to forget him. If we are fed in communion and then go out into the world ignoring suffering and oppression and injustice, we have not successfully met the instruction to do it in remembrance of Jesus. So, my question for you today is what will you remember as we share this meal? What will you recollect once you have had the bread and the cup? And perhaps most importantly, what will you do in remembrance of Jesus when you walk out of the sanctuary? On a Tuesday, like three weeks from now, when you can't quite remember the taste of the gluten-free bread or the grape juice, when you're a little bit removed from the practice of the table, how will you still be enacting the memory of Jesus? What will you be doing to bear witness to the creative and redemptive work of God? I hope that you will go and feed the ducks. I hope that you will Share the abundance that you have with the next generation of believers. Come to Pride next weekend and offer a blessing to someone who have, may have been told that there was no place for them at the table. Take literal bread with you to the residence of Maggie Russell Tower by delivering groceries for ICM. Those things are easy. You could choose to do them right now just by scanning the QR code on the back of your bulletin. All of those things are available to you, waiting for you, to remember. Okay, maybe not ducks exactly, but you, you get my point. You have everything that you need right now to do something in remembrance of Jesus, to go out into the world proclaiming the goodness of God that you found at Christ's table, proclaiming it with your actions, with your love, and with your very selves. Friends, may it be so. Amen.